Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 89. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. And uh, recently I've seen that quite a lot of athletes in the absence of racing are setting themselves solo or small group uh, epic uh, adventures, so to say. Like we have Everesting attempts, we have double marathons and uh, all sorts of things like that. If that is something that is on your calendar to do, then uh, of course you realize that uh, nutrition and hydration is going to be a critical part of it. And uh, in the summer heat, especially if you're living in a in a very hot environment, then uh, figuring out what your electrolyte losses are going to be is uh, a very important part of that puzzle. You can go to precisionhydration.com and take their free online sweat test to get a good estimate for what your uh, sweat sodium concentration is. And that will give you an idea of how much sodium you need to replace in your hydration. You can get 15% off your order of precision hydration products with the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW15. And big thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka very recently launched their updated version of their flagship wetsuit model, the Maverick X2. This model has a redesigned core to make it uh, have a better stiffness in terms of uh, how much propulsion that is generated through your stroke and into the water and moves you forward, while still retaining full mobility uh, thanks to things like the materials selected and the arm clap technology that all of Roka's wetsuit have. It has even more buoyancy than its uh, predecessor, and it's got an entirely new taping technique uh, that connects the shoulders to the hips, resulting in a better power transfer from the lower body to the upper body. You can check it out on roca.com, and uh, you can get 20% off your entire order of Roca products, whether it's wetsuits, trisuits, twinskins, goggles, or high-performance eyewear, with a promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Now to today's question, which is from Phil in Ontario, Canada, who writes, Good day, Michael. Your podcast is great. I thoroughly enjoy it. As I have passed 40 years of age, I find uh, that the need to ensure that workout intensity stays low during any workout that is not high intensity and limiting the frequency of high intensity workouts is vital to managing fatigue and maintaining consistency in training. Therefore, my questions are, one, how would you structure a typical training week in terms of frequency of high-intensity workouts? In other words, how frequent would an interval session be in a typical base or build week? I ask this in particular in the context of master's age athletes. And uh, some sub-questions to this is, do you typically include high-intensity workouts in all three sports each week? If so, in order to control the overall stress, do you keep each ses session shorter than they might be if you're prescribing for only one sport? For example, if you're coaching a cyclist, might an interval prescription be 5 times 5 minutes at uh, VO2 max, whereas a triathlete of similar capacity might do 3 or 4 times 5 minutes, so they may be better recovered for a high-intensity swim or run workout. Also, might an approach such as uh, stacking high-intensity uh, a high intensity brick workout, a ride and run together, uh, such as a bike interval session followed by a tempo run, allow greater time between hard workouts. Uh, so, thank you, Phil, for your question. There is uh, a question number two as well, but uh, I'll stop it here and answer this part of the question first. 
Uh, first of all, uh, kudos to you for for finding what works for you in terms of maintaining uh, consistency in training. That is, as you've heard many, many times, the most important thing. And uh, as long as you've found your recipe, what works for you, then that's uh, that's really the most important thing. That's uh, the number one thing that you you can do for uh, for your development as an athlete. So that's really a great starting point. So starting first by answering your question on how to structure a typical training week in terms of frequency of high-intensity workouts, and then the first thing that I want to point out, because you ask in the context of masters athletes, this is something I've talked about many times before. Uh, individualization is critical, and there are plenty of masters athlete, athletes that can do a heck of a lot more training than people half their age. So think about athletes like Craig Alexander or Cam Brown, just to name a couple on the pro scene. But it's not just pros. It, we can talk about age groupers as well. And I have coached uh, many athletes like that. And uh, in our coaching group, we have some great examples currently as well of athletes that are 40 plus or 50 plus or 60 plus that can do a really good amount of training and included in that uh, intensity as well and recover well from it. So the point that I'm trying to make here is not that you should do more or train harder. It is that while older athletes probably will need more recovery than they did themselves when they were younger, assuming that they are lifetime athletes, that is, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need any more recovery than a 20-something uh, individual needs uh, because that 20-something individual might not have years of consistent training in their body, which is actually one of the most important things when it comes to making you able to tolerate training, absorbing training, and recovering from, from training. So, uh, so yeah, I'm not going to wrap any blanket statements on how much recovery certain ages need because there just isn't, it just isn't possible to do that. Uh, it uh, really comes down to the individual. So I'm going to answer this question generally speaking, but of course this general answer should be tweaked for the individual. But again, it comes down to more so the individual abilities and in this uh, in this case recoverability perhaps mostly rather than the age. So that's just a bit of a, uh, I guess, disclaimer for the age part of your question. And I find that for most athletes that I coach who are doing, uh, many of my athletes are doing around 12 endurance workouts per week or so. So they train quite a lot. And for most of them, I think that doing four of those workouts as harder workouts and not necessarily talking about high intensity interval training, but I'm talking harder workouts. And by that, it could be a zone three workout, like a, a long tempo run or ride. It could be a threshold workout, zone four, or it could be a zone five VO2 max interval type of workout but uh, so i'm going to speak generally about harder workouts not necessarily interval workouts because the athletes won't be doing interval workouts week after week necessarily if we're defining interval work as anything you do above threshold so basically going towards that zone five but if we do four harder workouts per week that's something that generally is very sustainable week in week out uh, for my athletes and a very typical framework for a week would be that Monday would be a, a fairly light day, maybe a short endurance workout and some strength and conditioning. Tuesday would have a hard session and an endurance session, which might be uh, a reasonably long endurance session. Wednesday would also be a, an endurance day with a couple of longish endurance sessions. Thursday, again, would have one hard session and another endurance session. Friday would, like Monday, be a light day with uh, short endu shorter endurance work, generally speaking. 
and uh, Saturday and Sunday would each have one harder session and one or both of those days might have an additional an additional endurance session as well. And this is a very common way to structure microcycles that uh, is often called in by its uh, sort of 3-1-2-1 mode uh, meaning three days of greater training load which is that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday block. You remember that Wednesday was a pure endurance day but it's still a greater training load because if we do two reasonably long workouts then then that's going to put a fair amount of of training load on you then uh, so 3121 means three days of greater training load one light day which was the friday and then two days of greater load again saturday sunday and one light day again monday and it's not as if i'm following this structure rigidly or following it with all of my athletes and it's definitely not a magic structure by any means but i do find it a good starting point and uh, in this way with this kind of micro uh, microcycle athletes will almost always have 48 hours between their hard sessions uh, except on sunday when they have done the previous one 24 hours earlier so this is this generally seems to be very doable for most athletes week in and we're not talking about doable for a week but doable week in week out of course it also requires you to think about how much load you apply overall chronically and acutely uh, in a given session but also in a given week and a given month and a given uh, mesocycle so so it's not the structure is itself will not um, save you from doing stupid mistakes like training way too much or way too hard but uh, but it gives a good starting point and it can form as a framework for for where you place your uh, your harder load days which is what you're asking about so so that's basically a typical week but obviously this is for somebody that does a fair amount of training in this case for somebody that trains let's say eight sessions per week i still think it's uh, very feasible to include some quality or harder intensity like zone three zone four zone five in four of those weekly sessions but uh, the trade-off here and the more challenging aspect uh, becomes where do you get in your endurance training and how do you get in enough endurance training so that's what basically becomes as a coach the tricky balance to find uh, to make sure that you don't just because you can do four hard sessions uh, do them just out of default you actually have to think about well are they getting enough of that lower intensity training for what they need as an athlete and this is something we talked about in depth in last week's q a that i did together with uh, with Lockie, uh one of the coaches at scientific triathlon but for this athlete that has uh, eight sessions per week one approach that i think is quite good is to combine a harder session like uh, high intensity intervals or a tempo workout with endurance so for example it might look like doing a short interval set of let's say eight times 500 meters at your 5k running pace in the early part of your long run and then still have a long uninterrupted segment of zone two running uh, when you're already a bit pre-fatigued uh, after that set so so in that way you can get you can combine the two and i think this is uh, especially useful when you do the higher intensities like zone five intervals uh, as we had in this example with 5k race pace or even 3k race pace perhaps would be possible for eight times 500 meters so because then you still get most of your volume in as that endurance training 
but you do get that stimulus of high intensity. And where it gets difficult is if you try to fit a lot of tempo work in, which you need to do quite a lot of, which is why like the the less you train, maybe the, the more your intensity might need to skew towards that higher intensity because that that is the only way that you can get in all of the zone two training, the endurance training that you also want to be getting in. So coming back to the overall structure for this uh, eight sessions per week athlete, uh, as I mentioned, it's completely feasible for them as well to do four harder sessions per week, which obviously is a bigger proportion in terms of sessions than for the other uh, athlete that does more workouts. But uh, so the structure doesn't need to change, but but what needs to change is that given the hierarchy of needs uh, of endurance training, you, you may find that you're just doing the hard workouts. They end up being a bit uh, shorter, but harder, so higher intensity. And uh, yeah, so the nature of them change. But uh, the microcycle pattern of 3-1-2-1 that I described, that might still be a great, that is still something that I might use for this athlete. And here one of the ones in that uh, in that description is probably a complete rest day or maybe strength and conditioning on only and uh, things like the wednesday endurance day probably that's a short ish endurance day it doesn't mean going out for three hours on the bike but might just be a one hour or 75 minute bike ride or or something along those lines so volume obviously scales and everything scales but the but the structure might still be the same and uh then the final example I want to bring up here for like a typical week is uh, for people in their first year or, or two of triathlon, where there really is a massively important need to to build that uh, aerobic engine from the ground up, then the typical week changes a bit. So for these beginners, I would uh, I might use something as simple as just an alternating day uh, structure in terms of uh, load so every other day the load would be higher and every other day it would be lower but here it is very important to note that higher load doesn't always mean intensity it can actually flip on its head completely because the higher load often means we dedicate that day to longer endurance and these longer endurance workouts are the most important workouts for this type of athlete that is early on in their endurance career so so, so then on the other hand, we can do intensity as part of the low load days, but because we don't need to do a lot of it necessarily to get some benefits at this at this level. If we take the run uh, as an example, then a low load but high intensity day might be something as simple as a 30 minute run that includes eight times one minute of hard running uh, with two minute easy recoveries where hard is fairly close to best average effort and then the high day uh, we might be doing something like 60 or 70 minutes in zone two obviously depending on what the athlete has built up to and and where they are in their progression and one final thing to point out is that uh, here i've mentioned the example of having four harder workouts per week again this is something that i find is very very sustainable it doesn't mean that i consider that a maximum by any means uh, or a minimum for that matter it changes based on the time of year the athlete needs and so so on but uh, to give you an example many of my most advanced athletes uh, definitely do more than four harder workouts per week very consistently uh, but uh, i find four workouts per harder workouts per week is a great starting point if you can construct a basic training week that has four hard workouts and you can go through that consistently 
then you will generally develop pretty well. And over time, if you feel that you can handle more, then by all means, go in and add a fifth and see how things go. And then as you get closer to the racing season, that's when things get a bit, uh, you, you can start to challenge yourself a bit more uh, in those last last few weeks before before races that's when it's time to really try to move the needle obviously but again four workers per, hard workers per week is something that is a good benchmark for most of the year when you're far out from any races like this time when we're here in the pandemic and uh, most of my athletes have no idea when they will race still uh, then we have uh, the sub question of do you typically include high intensity training in all three sports each week so the answer is that i typically include at least one workout which is harder not necessarily high intensity but a zone three or zone four or zone five in a five zone system a workout in each dis- discipline per week and so yes the, the answer is yes for that again not necessarily high intensity intervals but something hard like a, a hardish tempo run or hardish threshold a bike or something like that uh, but this goes for athletes that have an athletic age of at least uh, let's say they're at least in their second year but maybe even in their third year because the second year depending on what the first year looked like might still be more about aerobic development but on the other hand if i answer the actual question of if i include high intensity training in all three sports each week and with high intensity if we define that as zone five or anything about above anaerobic threshold then the answer is uh, no I, I definitely don't do that and uh for each in every like i definitely don't include that in each of the three disciplines each week and some weeks might have zero uh, high intensity training depending on the athlete needs uh, for actually for masters athletes the uh, frequency of high intensity training is higher than for athletes that are a bit younger just because of the natural decline of vo2 max unless you train specifically at that high intensity for masters athlete athletes but uh, but still i wouldn't necessarily do all three disciplines i would maybe do one or two per week depending on which period we are in in some periods of the year sure we would do all three of them but uh, in most periods it would be probably one or two and then the other hard workouts would be uh, something like a zone three or a zone four workout then the following sub question here now in if you do include high intensity training in all three sports each week in order to control the oral stress, do you keep each session shorter than they might be if you're prescribing for only one sport? For example, if you're coaching a cyclist, might an intro prescription be five times five minutes at VO2 max, whereas a triathlete of similar capacity might do three to four times five minutes so that they may be better recovered for a high-intensity swim or run workout. So again, uh, I'm going to here talk about not necessarily high-intensity as in above anaerobic threshold, but I'm going to answer in terms of harder sessions, so zone three, zone four, zone five. And uh, when when I answer from this perspective, it is quite individual, I would say. But on average, the answer is probably yes. Uh, there is not a massive difference, but I do think that uh, I prescribe slightly smaller workouts, if you want to call it that, than I would if they were training for a single sport. There is definitely a spectrum of how much intensity different athletes can tolerate uh, but also on the other hand how much they need to to actually reap the benefits i do want to emphasize that uh, i don't start and i don't think you should start or anybody should start from the perspective of uh, 
individual uh, single sport disciplines like you shouldn't start but with having uh, a swim program a bike program and a run program fit them together and try to adapt it for triathlon i don't think that's uh, going to give you the best the best triathlon program by any stretch uh, even if you scale it and adapt things uh, i approach things very much from a specific triathlon perspective which is why i've actually not quite thought about this question that you're you're asking me before so but one of the key questions that i ask myself when i sit down to to write a program is what does this triathlete need that, that's the the key question it's not what would would what would we do with a cyclist or what would we do with a runner and then try to adapt it it's what does this triathlete need and uh, because of the generally high overall training volume but also because of the the impact the fatigue from the combi- combination of doing three different sports even the cognitive uh, fatigue cognitive load of it i find that quite often the minimal effective dose in those hard sessions it yes when i think about it it can be a bit lower than what a typical single sport program might prescribe uh, but uh, it really depends for athletes that have reached a certain level it is not going to be massively different i don't think but uh, but there is certainly a different difference there so if we approach it from your example you give the example of doing a cyclist doing five times five minutes of vo2 and maybe a triathlete should do three or four of them and uh, i would say that generally the difference might be on the scale of doing 70 to 90 percent of what a single sport athlete might do uh, in comparable situations so so in the example that you give of five times five minutes for the cyclist I might be happy to give four times five minutes for the triathlete. I would probably not do three times five minutes. But five times five minutes at VO2 max is obviously a very hard workout. And so is four times five minutes. So this is something that would be a sort of a race preparation workout and not something that you necessarily do in base uh, in base training. During base training, when you do VO2 work, you might be doing, the cyclist might be doing th- four or three times five minutes or something like that. And the triathlete might be doing three times five minutes and not yeah nothing more nothing less would be a good example of how to do vo2 max workout that is not uh, going to put you at the absolute limit but it's going to be enough for what you need at that point in the season and that's another example uh if we're working on threshold and we have uh, we have a threshold workout that for a runner would give them 40 minutes of threshold work then a triathlete might be fine doing just 30 minutes of, of work at that same intensity, uh, seeing as they're also doing some hard workouts in the other disciplines. But another thing that I want to point out here is that whether you are a triathlete or a single sport athlete, I don't think that you need to do sessions that are so hard that they push you to your maximum capacity two or three times or four times per week, every single week. Uh, actually, I would strongly advise against that. So for me, I'm very happy to have long periods of the year where the athlete consistently have their hard workouts result in a session RPE on a scale of 1 to 10 that is sort of like a 7, 7.5, maybe an 8 every now and then. But they never really reach that 9, which is really hard and definitely not reaching a 10. Uh, so so they had quite a left, bit left in the tank after each of those hard sessions during the week. And with this approach, I think that the difference between how big sessions you can do as a single sport athlete and a multi-sport athlete decreases quite a bit because the sessions are designed not to wreck you anyway, but to allow you to recover fairly quickly. So, so I do take this approach for most 
or all of what we might call the base training part of the year, which really is the majority of the year. But in the weeks leading up to a key race, that's where we will have those hard sessions that really challenge the athlete and try to move the needle and where session RPE definitely ends up being a nine uh, out of 10 quite often, definitely a lot, lots of eights and some nines, maybe even a 10 every now and then. So very close to the maximum capacity, training capacity of, of the athlete. And it's in this phase that I think that triathletes need to be more careful not to overdo things because they have potentially a higher frequency of hard workouts than single sport athletes. So yes, this phase is, it is uh, more critical, I think, to, to think about how big can you make those hard sessions and think about the entirety of your program, not just a single session, but consider the consequences of doing four times five minutes or five times five minutes at VO2 max and what it means for the next hard workout, the way that you state in your question. So, so I would say that there is a difference in where you are in the season in terms of how you approach this. And then another sub-question there was that might an approach such as uh, stacking a high-intensity brick ride and run together, such as a bike intral session followed by a tempo run, uh, allow greater time uh, between hard workouts to recover? And I think that's a, an interesting thought and a good suggestion, definitely something worth trying. And uh, you be the judge of if it works or not. Uh, the The question that you also need to think about there is, are you actually compromising the amount of total hard biking or running you you can do by combining them into one session? Or alternatively, if you really make sure you get in a large amount of both the run and bike quality as part of that single session so you make it a almost like an epic session then your recovery might be excessively long actually so even if you get it done in one session you might just need too long to recover from that session because it was such a hard and demanding workout and it might not be worth the trade-off of doing them as separate workouts so i don't know the answer to that you you can try it and see what you think Personally, I don't really prescribe a lot of brick workouts that well that that way. But uh, I know that uh, a great example of using brick workouts uh, in not necessarily for the same reason, but Adil Tweiten and the Norwegian uh, the Norwegian boys are using a lot of hard brick workouts in their training. But for them, the premise really is to get a stronger stimulus as part of a single bout of training they can do more work essentially at threshold which is where they tend to train in those sessions a lot by combining biking and running than they could doing biking or running alone and uh, and that is basically they get a very large dose and a highly concentrated dose of of good high intensity training and at their level i think it makes perfect sense they're just trying to use it as a tool to induce an overload what what I like in terms of stacking workouts uh, to get more recovery uh, is that uh, I like the, the idea of doing one hard workout in the morning and then the other one in the afternoon or, or evening. And uh, this is something that I do prescribe a lot for my athletes, but it is quite individual because it is important to still be able to maintain the quality of the second workout. And then you can have an extra day of just endurance training before you have your next day with hard workouts or a workout but i do find that this is an area where athletes respond quite differently there is a variation some respond really well to this and it works really well but for others it's better to spread out the intensity and have 
have it across several different days and basically never do two hard sessions on the same day rather do them on consecutive days instead i think this is just my educated guess but i think it has a lot to do with how stressful your job is and your life outside of training in general so if you have a stressful job and then you need to get home and you need to cook for your kids and then drive into activities before you do your second hard workout of the day that's not necessarily going to be conducive for really high quality training and this athlete might be better off just spreading these workouts out instead and trying to get that hard training always done in the morning to maximize the quality of it but for athletes that are in different situations then uh, it might obviously be very much feasible to to do that second uh, ride or run or workout in general in the evening and still make it a super high quality quality training and there are some athletes that that have stressful jobs they have family obligations and so on but they can still no problem do that hard workout we're just different in the way where we work as individuals and that's okay you just need to find what works for you but uh, i will say if i have an athlete that can do that sort of stacked training i do like to use that approach and then get an extra day of just endurance training before the next day of hard training and just coming back quickly to the question about the brick workouts uh, i do i prefer generally stacking the workouts as in terms of one morning and one afternoon slash evening workout as opposed to brick sessions for two reasons the first is to be able to do a bit more total work and this is under the assumption that for most of us we're not uh, limited by the dose of hard training that we can get done in an individual session like some really really uh, high level athletes might be uh, but the second reason is that uh, it gives you better quality uh, put simply for most athletes it, it does you can you can do better better cycling and better running if you separate them than if you do them in a brick session and it also makes you feel better you can feel stronger rather than if you're running really tired off the bike even though i think that it has its place for sure but for most part of the year i i'd rather separate them and have you be able to do better quality and feel better about it because i think that feeling good about your training is very important as well all right so that was the first question and uh, now on to the second one which is how would you recommend maintaining intensity control during swim workouts when we are able to swim again for those of us who are not lifelong swimmers I find that using a pull boy and paddles help keep intensity lower while maintaining decent technique, as does using swim fins. What other methods help? So, yes, I do like uh, using fins and uh, pull boy and paddles to control the load and the workout quality. Um, I'm not sure how exactly you do it, you, whether you do it in the main sets or in the easier endurance parts. For me, I definitely prescribe the majority of my harder main sets without any of these tools. But a fair amount of the endurance swimming of a session may be done with things like pull paddles or with fins or with a snorkel, which means that we're facilitating doing the easy swimming easy enough and therefore we're controlling the overall load because we're not letting that easy swimming slip into moderate load swimming accidentally and of course i do prescribe some main sets as well with or partially with for example pull boy and paddles 
But when I do that, it's not for the purpose of controlling intensity uh, or limit or like limiting the load, but rather it's to achieve a specific objective. Like for example, strength endurance would be an obvious one, or also technique under load. So for example, doing a threshold swim, you might swim a few reps uh, without paddles and pull boy, but then a few reps with paddles and pull boy, uh, because you are under under heavy load, and that will help you maintain a bit of a better technique during those uh, during those reps while still working working hard working at the same effort that you were already doing and then you might switch back again as you have gotten a little bit of a rest maybe maybe a longer rest between uh, different sections of that set the primary means uh, in my opinion for me of achieving intensity control in the main sets is simply in the workout prescriptions so my athletes will usually have a time range target in their intervals when they're swimming, but they will also know what the workout should feel like. So I will actually prescribe generally a session RPE target. For If we take a threshold set, for example, they will have a range, which would be maybe three to four seconds per 100 meters wide. And uh, they will try to hit at uh, the interval somewhere within that, that pace window. But they will also be aware that if you feel like you're going almost all out to hit that pace, then that's not your threshold pace. Uh, they they realize that for a threshold swim, they should be swimming hard, but it should still be with some semblance of control. And I have probably set them a target of session RPE being something like 8 out of 10. And the athlete then in the workout realizes that, okay, so if I want to stick to that target, then I will need to back down a little bit. So, so that's uh, that's how I use the prescriptions really to control the intensity. So, uh, both using the paces and obviously we try to get it right, but also by using session RPE. And one of the great things about this is that it's a self-regulating feedback loop. If an athlete comes back from the session and they absolutely smashed themselves to swim the times that I had prescribed, and say that okay, that was a session RPE of ten out of ten. And, and based on their feedback of the session, it's not because they had a bad day and were just slow in the water on that day or anything. They actually swam to their capacity, but they had to push it all out to achieve the target. Then that's a clear cue for me that, okay, I probably overestimated their threshold pace. And for the next session, I need to adjust that uh, time target or the pace target. Another thing that I think helps specific to low intensity swimming to maintain intensity control is to use bilateral breathing. And this will, for many athletes, prevent them from going too fast. Not for all, because some athletes are actually more comfortable with bilateral breathing than anything else. Depends a bit on your stroke rate and so on. But it can help. You can try it. And one final thing that I find really, really useful and important is to break up main sets of your swims and include more easy swimming as active recovery. So for example, rather than doing nine times 200 meters at threshold with 30 second recoveries, you might split it up into three sets of three by 200 with 20 second recoveries maybe, or perhaps 30 second recoveries. You might maintain them between the 200s in each set. But then after those three times 200 you would do 200 or 300 meters of just very easy swimming. So you would break up the nine times 200 into three different sets. And one reason that this helps is that it keeps lactate values in check because when you're only recovering passively, 
lactate combustion is very slow but when you're actually swimming at a comfortable endurance effort then you're clearing the accumulated lactate much quicker this means that you can do the same work you can do the nine times 200 but at a lower cost because you're keeping your lactate levels lower in general and your rpe will obviously be lower for that reason and you or you can alternatively actually increase the amount of work that you do so if you split up that threshold session into sets of three by 200s maybe you do four by three by 200 so you actually get 12 200s in total instead of nine 200s so uh, so that, that's a great benefit of uh, of splitting main sets up and adding more active recovery swimming and not being too fussed about really short recoveries and just trying to smash it all in a super concentrated dose thinking more about how can you maximize the amount of quality work that you do instead and that i believe is uh, is a, a really really important aspect of uh, structuring swim workouts in addition to the metabolic benefits of uh, lactate accumulation and clearance i also think that uh, this uh, uh, this approach helps relax the swimmer a bit and reset the focus for the next set which allows them to maintain a better overall quality of the workout book, both in terms of the intensity and their mental concentration, but also just the technique that they bring into, into each repetition. And this might be especially important for adult onset swimmers. So thank you, Phil, for your great question. That was uh, a really good one and uh, got uh, quite long, actually. I didn't realize that I was going to... Uh, to babble on for so long but uh, there you go i hope that uh, it helps keep sending in questions if you want them answered on a future episode and my email is michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a k if you haven't done so already i would really appreciate uh, getting ratings and reviews for the podcast i haven't asked in quite some time and i noticed when looking at it the other day that it's been always completely flat in the month of may so maybe i do need to actually ask for them to to keep them coming in uh, seriously they really help a lot they help other other athletes find the podcast which uh, helps keep it sustainable because uh, i am relying on sponsors to be able to spend as much time as i do on the podcast and uh, for that the podcast audience needs to be large enough and it needs to keep growing and so on so on of course it's a very natural uh, course of uh, of a podcast life cycle if you will and speaking of sponsors a massive thanks to them as usual first we have precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com go and take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy for your next event or perhaps race even and you can get 15 percent off your order with the promo code that's reference show one five on all their electrolyte products and thank you to roca that you can find on roca.com check out their wetsuits trisuits swimskins goggles high performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20 percent off your order with the promo code that you can find on roca.com forward slash tts and by the way on that same note along the lines of the ratings and reviews uh, when you shop from our sponsors that also indirectly uh, definitely helps the podcast because it keeps sponsors coming back which means that the podcast can uh, go on and uh, go on at the same rate as it has uh, for uh, more than three years now with that said thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon <laughs>